This is Chuck Wilson on Sports, featuring professional and amateur athletes, coaches at all levels, parents, educators, officials, and others, sharing insight and perspective from the playing field and discussing issues that impact the game. Chuck Wilson on Sports and our Peer into Character Conversations are presented by Evenfield, a recognized nonprofit organization cultivating integrity, life skills, and leadership through sports. Now, here's Chuck. Steve Krasner is a veteran sports writer, author, editor, and youth coach. His many hats have provided him valuable insight on how to effectively motivate and communicate with elementary and middle school age kids. Steve's dream growing up was to play professional baseball. Though he lacked size and power, he could run, field, handle the bat, and he knew the game. He played through high school and was honored as a team MVP in college, but he found professional baseball beyond his reach. So he combined his passion for the game and a love of writing to become a professional sports writer, reporting sports for Rhode Island's Providence Journal for 33 years, the last 22 years covering the Boston Red Sox. Krasner has coached Little League and AAU baseball as well as girls softball, and he is a Parents' Choice award-winning children's author. His books include The Longest Game, Play Ball Like the Pros, and Play Ball Like the Hall of Famers. Since 1985, Steve has been nudging the imagination with his engaging personality, presenting interactive and motivational story writing workshops in school classrooms and virtually and providing professional development workshops for teachers and youth development specialists. Steve Krasner also is the founder and executive director of Rhode Island Right On Sports, a nonprofit organization that provides free two-week summer sports writing camps to help underserved middle school students improve writing and communication skills. As we began our conversation, I asked Steve to describe his approach to coaching and teaching. You want to impart messages, but you want to do it in a way that it will be received well. Right. So whether you're coaching baseball, as I did, or you're in the classroom teaching writing, you need to engage the students and players. They're like your co-conspirators, right. you know, when you're coaching, when you're teaching. Obviously, you have the last say. You're going to decide who's hitting fourth and who's playing right field. But you want them to know that their opinion is valued. It used to be the coach said, listen, you jump and, and you ask how high, you know, and that was it. But, but now it's a little more give and take, and, and that's okay. You know, I mean, you still can retain control, if you will. But by engaging your students and or players, um, you give them that sense of ownership, you know, and, and they, they buy into it more, to use a cliche. And so it's easier to impart the lessons Again, whether it's, you know, which base to throw to or how to use two hands to catch a fly ball or, you know, what uh, adjectives to use. What have you learned about what it takes to communicate effectively with middle school age kids? Well, you, you have to listen to them. Again, as I said, you know, you're the one that's going to make the final decision. But you want to respect their opinions as well. You know, it's a, it's a two-way street. They'll respect you more if you respect them, but you can't make it phony either. It has to be real, you know? Yeah. I mean, you have to really want to hear what they're saying and, and talk about, well, why? Well, why do you think this? And get them to think it through. Because certainly from a writing point of view, one of the lessons you give students is that 
just because you write it once does not mean it's done. You know, I mean, the toughest thing about writing anything is writing it the first time. Once you've written it the first time, you go back over it, give it a little polish, a little massage, a little revision, a little editing. It's not as difficult as you think, but, but you get those ideas out there first. But now you have to think them through. So my writing philosophy is that it, it's, it's really a simple process when you boil it down. It goes from idea to angle to research to write, revise, and then write, revise, and edit. No matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been writing, basically that's what everything boils down to, whether it's writing an email, whether it's writing a novel. It doesn't make any difference. It's the same process. And to get them to slow down, we talk in athletics all the time about just slow it down, relax, take a breath, you know, let the game come to you, let it slow down. Well, writing's the same way, relax. You know, you'll get there. Um, just get the ideas out there. And to know that there's no such thing as a bad idea. Some ideas will work better for you than others in certain circumstances, but the only way you find out what's going to work is to get them all out there and talk them through. Well, if I do this, how's this going to happen? And then this, and what do I need? And, this, and that's what you want to do. Same with sports, you know? I mean, it's, it's like, you know, why would you throw to third base on a play and not second base? Who is running? What's the score? What's the inning? What did he do last time? So, you know, you're asking all these questions, and when you ask the questions, you get more depth. You're fostering self-discovery, which is huge. One of the things we, we talk about so much is that rather than tell kids things, have them come to that conclusion themselves because it sticks, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, as I said, that sense of ownership. Oh, I, you know, I'm an author. I'm a writer. Oh, I, I made this play. You know, and what were you thinking? And why did you do that? That's it. That way, that's, that's how to do it. You know, a little positive reinforcement, you know, or guidance. But you're right. I mean, it's all about thinking for themselves and getting to that point themselves. And once they've done it once or twice, that confidence is there. So you're able to say, well, you've been through this before. It's not a big deal. You can do it. When I would coach baseball, um, what I would always tell the kids is, you don't play baseball. You think baseball. You have to know situations. Okay, it's knowing, you know, as I said previously, how many outs are there? You know, who's batting? How fast the runner is he? You know, I mean, how much time do you have if you feel the ground ball? And, and is there going to be, are they going to run on the play? And what's the score? And what's the inning? And, and you know, I mean, what did he show you um, in an at-bat? If a pitcher throws a fastball and it's a right-handed hitter and all of a sudden he hits it way foul down a right field line, well, that's telling you as the fielder, that he's going to be late on a fastball. So you're going to move, if you're at third base, you're taking a couple steps to your left. So it's the thought process. It's uh, all about process, in a sense. Sure. That's, that's the interesting thing, whether it's writing or it's trying to play a sport, learn a musical instrument, whatever it is, everybody gets focused on the, re the immediate result right. that you can get. Right. And I always use this as an example. You can learn to play a musical instrument improperly and have short-term outcomes that are better mm -hmm. than learning it so-called hard way, but then you don't have to relearn it later when you start doing more complicated things, right? So it is a building block. Sure it is. You reminded me of a, a story of my son. My son was a good baseball player. He ended up playing at East Greenwich High and, and Brandeis. He was a good player. Um, and I remember one game, a high school game, he went 0 for 4. He came home, and I was at the game. I saw the game. He, uh, he came home and said, Dad, I had a terrible game, 0 for 4. I said, no, no, no. I said, the results weren't good. 
But every at bat, you work the count to where you were ahead in the count. You hit the pitch where it was thrown. You get the good part of the bat on the ball. Sometimes it's just bad luck. It just doesn't happen. You can't guide the ball after you hit it. Conversely, you can have a three for four game, and they're all weak ground balls right. that somehow got through. Right. But really, going 0 for 4 and getting the really solid contact, you actually had the better day. Right. So, right, you've got to look at it in kind of the bigger picture. And I think as adults, we have trouble doing that with our kids of looking longer term than short term. Sure we do. And it's, it's natural enough. Yeah. You know, if you're a parent and you're watching a kid play ball, you know, it's like <laughs> I videotaped all of Jeff's games, basically, basketball and baseball. And there were a few reasons. One was for posterity. You know, if he did something great, like he hit a home run, for instance, in the Little League regionals, yeah. okay? And I had it, I can't remember, it was great, it landed in me, whatever. And we could use it as a teaching tool. He got to the point where he could look at it and say, Dad, why, why am I not getting any power? And, we, and he looked at it and said, I'm on my front foot. Yeah. So he learned, you know, from watching. But the other thing was, because I was videotaping, I couldn't say anything. Because if I said something, it was going to be on that tape forever and ever and ever. So I would just say, you know, if I would see him do something or not do something that, you know, he could have done or should have done or whatever. But it was a way to just watch the game and then try to talk about it later. What did you learn from that experience of watching your son in helping you be a good coach? The dynamic between parent and kid play and ball is, is uh, a difficult one because you can see talent or whatever and you want them to succeed. Not I didn't want them to succeed for me. I want them to succeed for him. So when he would take that 2-0 fastball down the middle, I'm saying, Jeff, what are you letting that pitch go for? You know, I wasn't the perfect parent. I would say, Jeff, you got to jump on that 2-0 pitch, Dad. So, you know, you get that kind of dynamic. But you learn that ultimately you don't want to bring that to the dinner table necessarily. Or and even on the ride home, right? On the ride home, yeah, yeah. Fortunately, it was a short ride. But, um, <laughs> Fortunately for Jeff. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and for our relationship, yeah. you know. You still want to be able to, when he's older, you want him to say, Dad, let's go to Smoky Bones. We haven't been out together yeah. for a while. That's what you want, yeah. you know, at the other end of it. And I see it now. I have a seven-year-old granddaughter who's playing soccer. And to watch her play... Um, relative to when I would watch my own kids play, it's, it's different. You know, certain things just don't matter. They'll get there, you know right. I mean? So she kicked the ball, she didn't kick the ball. You know, she, she crawled off the field dramatically, fine, you know? I mean, we were, we were away this weekend, and, and I was, we played a little wiffle ball. So I was pitching to her. And she's swinging, you know, she's, she's like a, the, the, the hammer chop, you yep. know, and, the, and the, the hands are separated, and the, you know, but she's hitting the ball. Yep. So I said to my son, Jeff, I said, the hand-eye coordination is there. If, I, if it had been Jeff, I would have said, no, no, Jeff. Your feet need to be here. Your hands need to be here. I mean, you know, and take all the fun out of it, you know? And so I, I think, you know, as a parent, you, you have to find a way to back away. Don't coach your own kid. I mean, that's, yeah. that's you know, it really isn't always helpful, depending on the kid's personality and your personality. Yeah. Yeah. How do we help kids to want to take on challenging tasks and stick with it, whether it's writing, whether it's playing a sport, learning a musical instrument, whatever. I think it comes down to encouragement. You know, I mean, you know that certainly in sports, failure's built in, yeah. right? So you're going to fail. You're going to go 0 for 4 and hit the ball well all the time. That's just the way it is. That's life. You know, I mean, sometimes you, things you do in life, 
you do everything the right way and, and the result is awful. It happens. So you have to get past that. But we have to encourage them to let them know, hey, good, good try. I mean, you're getting there. You know, you're better now than you were a week ago. Everyone needs that encouragement. Too many kids are perfectionists. They're afraid to take chances. And so, you know, they need to be given permission, shown that they have the permission, I guess is the way I want to put it, to try things. Yeah. And if they fail, that's okay. Why did you fail? What do you think you can do better next time? Not a big deal. Relax. Okay? Because everyone fails. I mean, I've been writing for 40-something years. Okay? And so I'm a professional. Okay? And so one of the things I'll, I'll show kids, and I use one of my, my picture books as, a, as an example, I'll read them the finished product. But then I have all the materials to take them over the original text, the early sketches, and on and on and on. And so I will say to them, so I revised it. I didn't have to revise it. I'm a professional writer, right? And some of them say yes, and some will say no. You have. What do you mean I have to revise? I'm a professional. What are you suggesting? Yeah. Right. Well, okay, so, all right, so I revised, you're right, I revised it once. No, 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 Not more than one. a professional has to, of course, because the only way you get to the best, and as writers, certainly you want the best of everything, the best word, the best sentence, the best paragraph, and the only way you get to that is to start somewhere, and then massage it, as I said, and, and get it even better. The beauty is, if you can get kids to have the confidence to keep at something that's difficult, that builds right, grit, that builds perseverance, that allows them to get knocked down and get back up again. And, and it, it goes into their bank of knowledge. You know, yeah. I mean, the first time they play a sport, they have, no, they have nothing to, to look back on and, and whether they succeeded or didn't succeed, you know. But once you've done it once, you know, you as the coach get to say, hey, remember that game we played, you know, and you didn't think you could hit that kid? And you get the bat on the ball, well, so why can't you do it again? That's what needs to grow and needs to build. And, and they're perfectionists because um, they don't want to be wrong. Yeah. It's, it's not about taking a chance and being more right or less right or whatever. It's, oh, I don't want to be wrong. And so that's why coaches, what they need to do is just pull them aside and say, yeah. you know, either that day or the next day, hey, don't worry, get them tomorrow, you know, and just let it go. Let's, yeah. go, get the, let's go get the lemonade and, and we're good. I think it's so important for kids to know that you're not going to get false praise either. Kids look right through that. They see mm -hmm. what it is. So mm -hmm. I think holding kids accountable to high standards, right, that's really important. But the standards ought to be to things they control. Mm -hmm. Their effort, their attitude, well, the, the and, communication. Their, and their, individual, right? individualized, because every, every kid is different. Yeah. So, so what you're going to hold one kid to, you're not going to hold everyone to necessarily. And we do the same thing in our writing camps. You know, we have kids from all different uh, ability levels, yeah. and that's fine. Same with coaching. The goal is to have them better players at the end of the year than they were at the beginning of the year. And, and all too often, parents want the games. It's another game. Let's have another game. Let's have another game. But in truth, it's practice yeah. that, you know, you know, first draft, second draft, third draft of a story. Or, you know, 15 ground balls today, 23 ground balls tomorrow. I mean, you know, you can play a doubleheader. And this would happen when I was coaching some AAU, 12 and under, 13 and under. You know, you could go through a doubleheader as a shortstop. And I would move everybody around yeah. anyway. But you could have a, a game at shortstop, two games at shortstop, and not get one ground ball. 
Well, is that good for you? I mean, your development? No. It's better to have had a practice. Instead of playing doubleheaders on Saturday and Sunday, so maybe you play a doubleheader on Saturday, and Sunday you go over some of the things that cropped up in right. you know, the course of the two games, and meanwhile you're getting your ground balls, you're getting your ground balls, you're getting right. a few more swings, you're getting some fly ball, yeah. and have some fun with it too. Right. As a coach, you want that kid to come back next year. Right. That kid may have done nothing all year good kid, you know, was kind of timid, whatever. But every year there's a year of development, you know, depending what ages they are, and, and they mature and they grow yeah. physically and, they, and things change. And you know, I remember having a kid 12 and under. Uh, as I said, I put kids everywhere because you never want to give a coach a chance to not play you. You know, when a coach looks around and says, I need a left fielder, and you say, oh, no, coach, I'm a shortstop. Okay, fine. Well, we have three, you're pretty good, but we have three who are better than you, so take a seat. Who wants to play, you know, who's going to play left field? So anyway, we had this kid who, um, good kid, really good kid, kind of big, third base, first base, so I put him in the outfield. And, and don't you know, no matter whether I put him in right field, left field, it didn't matter, the first batter would always hit the ball to him. And he'd, he'd dance around like a, a, a newborn giraffe, you know, trying to find his legs, and the ball would fall down. And, yep. and so I would joke with him and say, listen, listen, um, uh, do me a favor, put a helmet on when you go out there, will you please? But... So, so we would practice fly balls, and, and so you realize from a, um, a baseball point of view, the kids who go on from little league age are usually the pitcher shortstops, right? Maybe the catcher, right? Yep. So no one plays the outfield in little league because no one gets anything. I mean, you, you play there, but right. you don't get any activity there. So now you move to the big dime, you still have to have three outfielders, you know? But these kids haven't caught a fly ball in their lives. So I remember the first session, we had them all out in the outfield. You know, I had them all grounders all around the infield, right? And now everyone's catching fly balls. And it was a horror show. It was, the ball was, was landing on the ground. Unfortunately, no one got hit in the head. I don't know why, how not, but no one got So, but by the end, so there's Jake. By, by a couple years later, he was playing outfield, starting in center field. He had good speed and good size and a good arm. He was starting in center field for a high school team. You never know, and you that's don't. why as a coach, you know, it's kind of what you were alluding to. You yeah. never want to turn them off right. at 12 years old, 11 years old, whether it's on the athletic field or as a writer. You know, all those red marks that they get. Well, that's mechanical stuff for the most part. It's a common, it's a capital, it's not important. It is in the end, yeah. but I mean the importance is to get the ideas out there. And the only way you get the ideas out there is to give it a shot and be encouraged to give it a shot. Let me, let me talk about your personality. Yours is perfect. I mean, you, you're, you're a big kid, right? I am. And, and Papa you, Stevie. You know, That's you've dressed you. up, yep. you know, you've had the gorilla outfit on, yeah, and you've yeah, had yeah, the yeah. clown outfit, whatever it is. But you have a weight in your writing, coaching, and teaching of relating to kids. What can you tell us that you've learned at middle school age of being able to help kids in terms of a teacher, student, coach-player relationship? How do you build a quality relationship? Well, I mean, you touched on it earlier. You can't be phony. You are who you are. That's why some people teach high school and not elementary school. I mean, it yeah. depends on your personality. And even within that, you teach to your personality. When I'm in the classroom, especially elementary school, it's organized chaos. You know, I don't mind them calling things out. I don't want them falling out of chairs. It doesn't make any difference. We're fine. But I went into one classroom early on, and there was a it was third or fourth grade, and, and I had the kids where I wanted them. They were laughing, they were giggling, whatever. And all of a sudden, the teacher took a, a ruler and rapped on the desk, settle down, settle down. And I'm thinking, oh, these poor kids, you know? But you have to have a, a person, certainly in middle school, you have to be willing to let some things go. You hear a lot of things, 
but you have to develop what they have, which is selective hearing, right? So, you know, you hear them joke with each other maybe, or they, they talk back or something, and you, you kind of look at them, and, and, you know, you get a sense for, is this just, you know, uh, can you let it, can you let it go? You know, some issues you have to address right then and there, and, and you know, you only kind of learn that it's your own personality plus the situations that come up because um, they're going to joke around differently in middle school. They're going to say things differently. You know, that's just the age when they're testing limits, you know. And so you, as the teacher or coach, have to decide what you can let go and what you can't. And, and how it affects everybody else and, and control of the situation. Again, whether it's a writing assignment, you know, an in-class writing assignment, or it's, it's getting, you know, a practice, you know. The respect has to be kind of mutual. It only comes with time, you know, and that's why you're talking about calling kids out. You don't want to do that because when you do that, you know, you're, you're losing them. You've lost them, okay? But if you can pull that kid aside and say, hey, listen, you know that doesn't fly. Okay, you know we can't have that behavior, and I'll, I'll let it slide now. But you have to make the decision: Do you want to continue, you know, with that kind of behavior? And if so, you're old enough to know that there are consequences to behavior, and you have a responsibility. If that's hey, that's up to you. That's on you. I'm here to help you, but you have to ultimately make that decision. But then, what you need to do is. The first opportunity you get to compliment that kid, you do. The role of empathy in both teaching and coaching, what are your thoughts? It's extremely important. You get a sense over time if something you said, even if it was innocuous, even if you thought it was innocuous, and you see them turtle up, you know, you have to, under, you have to recognize that, and you have to say, oh, I messed up. I shouldn't have said it that way. I got to get this kid aside and talk to this kid right then and there, you know? So it's your observation powers. You know the message you want to convey, but you got like 15, 16, 18, 20 different personalities there too. So you might see that someone, you know, oh, you know, well, that's the kid, okay, all right, I, I messed up there with that kid. I have to treat that one a little differently and maybe, you know, talk a little more to that kid and talk it through and apologize even. You know, if you mess up, you mess up. You know, we're talking about taking responsibility, right? So as a coach, if you mess up, you know, with, with how you've acted or a strategy you put on, you know, put a kid in a bad situation, you have to say, you know, when you're meeting with them out in left field after the game, you know what, I, I messed up. I, I shouldn't have done that, I apologize. And as a role model, that makes so much sense because what it shows kids is it's okay to make a mistake, Mm -hmm. own up to it, mm -hmm. learn from it, and you move on. I just think the empathy piece in coaching, if you can coach with empathy, it doesn't mean you excuse things. What it does is remembering what it's like to mm -hmm. be 8, 9, 10, right. 11, 12 years old and not looking at it entirely from an adult perspective. And that's not simple to do all the time, but it's no. something I think it needs to be intentional. That's why we talk a lot with coaches about, hey, Get a video of yourself coaching. Look at your body language. You may be coming across in a way that you hadn't intended. Fair? True. Yeah, absolutely. Because things happen like that. You don't have three minutes to decide, let's see, how am I going to handle the fact that the umpire just threw out my pitcher? 
you know. You have to react in a split-second way. And sometimes, you know, that's when, after the game, you say, you know what, I didn't handle that very well. You say to the team, yeah. you know, what do you think I should have done? What's the experience as a coach that you most enjoyed? Working with kids and getting more out of them than they th yeah. knew they had. Uh, one example, I remember we had a tryout. This is for the AAU team. It was probably the 13 and unders. So it was the, it was the full-size diamond. And I saw a kid in the outfield throwing, big kid. He had good size, and and he but he never didn't really turn it loose. He was throwing like with a chicken arm, you know. But he's a good kid, you know. I wanted him on the team. There were other kids that probably were a little better. And, and with my other coaches, I said, no, no, we want him. And so um, I remember talking to him, and I said to him, "Did you pitch in Little League?" Said, yeah, a little bit. He was a shy kid. Did you pitch in Little League? Yeah, a little bit. Did you hit someone? Yeah. So are you afraid to throw? So over time, you know, we got him so he get his arm back and throw. You know, he didn't pitch for us against full-size diamond and all, but, but he became, you could see the confidence growing in him, and that was very satisfying as a coach to see. Was he the best player on the team? No, but he had his moments. You know, that's what you want. You want every kid to have a moment. Unfortunately, in Little League all too often, if you have a kid who can catch, who is able to catch, those kids are tough to find in Little League. And so the coach's tendency is to stick that kid back there for every, all six innings of every game of the season because that's going to help him win. But it's not doing the kid any favors necessarily because that kid may not grow physically big enough to be a catcher on the big diamond or, you know, the knees are going to go or the it's, – it's not fair to that kid. So as a coach, it was about, as I said earlier, having them better players at the end of the year than they were at the beginning and hopefully keeping that enjoyment of the game that they had going so that they would uh, want to play high school ball. What have you seen coaching that has just made you shake your head? Granddaughter's soccer game. They're seven-year-old girls playing soccer, okay? For the most part, this is their first experience playing the sport. And um, there was a girl on, on my granddaughter's team, ended up, because of a soccer play, was going after the ball, ended up bumping someone on the other team who fell down and started to cry, okay? Right. Later in the game, <laughs> she uh, goes to kick a ball. You know, there's a loose ball. She goes after it. Someone from the other team goes after it. They both kick at the same time. The ball pops up, hits a girl in the face. She starts crying, okay? And so the coach on the other team wants it thrown out of the game and goes belly to belly with the coach of my granddaughter's team. And my granddaughter's on a terrible team. They, they couldn't win. I mean, they're terrible, which is okay. You know, they're running around and they get some exercise and they're learning. Yeah. But he took his team off the field. The other coach took his team off the field. I mean, they're seven years old. I mean, what are you doing, you know? There was I mean, nothing malicious. The, no, there was absolutely, and I'm watching the game. I mean, obviously, I, have a, I want to see my granddaughter do well. I want to watch her play. But I have no, you know, I'm, I didn't go to Vegas and put something down on this, you know, this soccer match. <laughs> it was just a soccer play. They were both just soccer plays that happened. And that's where the coach comes into play. And should be taking the kids off and say, listen, are you okay? You know, your own kid, and say, listen, sometimes these things happen at soccer. She didn't mean it, anything by it, and just, you know, in essence, suck it up, will you? But, but I mean, just show that empathy yeah. that yeah. 
this is your first time playing soccer, and, and this is how sometimes the game goes, and she didn't mean anything, and it's just the way the game goes. But to go belly to belly with the other coach and demand that kid get tossed and, and take it, I mean, it's just a bit much. Uh, it was just a bit much. Best thing you've ever seen. Uh, another coach do, another adult do. Something. Well, you see a lot of coaches who who talk to their players, you know, and, uh, and one doesn't necessarily jump out to mind, but but I mean, there are a lot of good coaches. Bob Downey, for instance, the uh, the baseball coach at East Greenwich, is terrific. It so happened my son, when my son was a senior in high school, it was his first year of coaching at East Greenwich High School. But to watch the development of of him, and and even then, you knew. You know, you could see him. You know, some of the coaches my son had were, were good that way. And um, so there were a lot of coaches around who were doing it for the right reasons. Uh, you know, teach them how to play the game, play the game right, play the game well, sportsmanship. Um, Let's talk a little bit about ways we can improve the youth sports experience, for, especially for U13, you know, those, those 12 and under. What, what would you like to see? I would like to see grandparents coach. <laughs> to be honest with you, because they have a different perspective. And it's a little less intense. It's a little less pressure. Um, too many parents get too wrapped up in it, and, and it's just uh, not healthy for uh, the, the kids. And what are we teaching them? Because you also have, on the other side of the coin, you have well-meaning people coaching, who are doing their best, yeah. they're not malicious, they're not yelling at the kids and whatever, but they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And that's just as bad from a coaching point of view. I mean, my son had one of those coaches, which led to a couple of book pro projects for the newspaper, which led to book projects, you know, because bad advice is worse than none. But I happened to be walking to my seat, and he was doing soft toss, and the coach was saying, hey, Jeff, hit the ball as high up on the screen as you can. And I stopped and I turned around. I, you can't give a kid worse advice because the only way to do that is to drop a shoulder and swing like, like they do now in the major leagues, you know, with the launch angle. But, and my son caught my eye. As I said, I was just walking my seat, you know, and he caught my eye. He knew better, yeah. but it was his coach. Yeah. So he wasn't going to say anything. But that's when I realized, you know, there are well-meaning people yeah. who give up their time and that's terrific. But bad advice is worse than none. One thing I want to ask you about middle school. Mm -hmm. When it comes to middle school kids, when they see athletes behave and act in certain ways, how do they process that in your view? Um, I'm old school, okay? You hit the ball, you drop the bat, you run, you know? You don't point to yourself, you don't, you know, wiggle around, you don't throw the bat, just, just go to the bases where you're supposed to. So I'm old school that way. Um, but. I mean, we used to um, pretend we were the major leaguers, right? Sure. We'd get the Tootsie Rolls, you know, put it in a, you know, mm -hmm. grab a whole bunch of Tootsie Rolls and chew them like we were chewing tobacco, you know, and get the bat and the wiffle balls and whatever and play and same batting stances and all that kind of stuff. But what's changed is that um, they're cultivating personalities, you know, and so it's natural for kids to just want to be Fernando Tatis and just toss the bat up in the air and you know saunter on the bases and point at the pitcher and, and do all that stuff, yeah. which drives me yeah. crazy. It's difficult to not fall into that trap as a kid, you know? How do kids view character? 
I don't think they think about it at all, necessarily, unless it's pointed out to them. And we need to point out to them. Look what this kid just did. Wasn't that neat? As writers, and I say this all the time, you're, you're planting seeds. Like our camp is two weeks, Rhode Island Right on Sports, it's two weeks. I tell the staff all the time, listen, we're not going to reinvent the wheel in two weeks. We're not going to turn um, some kid who has very little writing ability into the next Red Smith or whomever you want to choose, Peter Gammons, whatever you want to choose. But we're planting seeds so they can see that, oh, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that. So little by little by little, we're not going to see the seed blossom, but someone else will. So, so it's the same thing athletically. You're going to plant seeds of what you should be doing, why you should be doing it, et cetera, et cetera. And it may kick in this year, it may kick in next year, whatever. So the same thing with character, you know? So what did we see in this play, you know? And you don't have to make a big deal out of it. It doesn't have to be a three-hour lecture. But as a coach, you know, you're pointing these things out. Like, don't argue with the umpire. Sit down. The umpire has a job. You have a job. You know, it's like I would always get a kick out of this covering the Red Sox, too. You'd hear it all the time in the locker room. Oh, I had the guy struck out on the pitch, but the umpire called it a ball. The next pitch, he hit you know nine miles for a home run. Well, wait a minute. Who threw the next pitch? The umpire didn't throw the next pitch. All right, maybe he missed one. So what? Did you ever miss? You know, I mean, so just shut up and play. Basically, is what is what it comes down to. But notice that there's an etiquette. You follow the rules. You play the right way. You know, you you support your teammates. You know, you're not playing. You got pulled out or whatever. Well, don't go pout. This is a team. You know, so. And those are the little things that build character and that you can point to and say, you know, I'm impressed with the way you handled that. And that's all you have to say. You don't have to make a big speech out of it. That's it, you know, because that gets processed and that's meaningful to the kids. But you have to recognize this as the coach and or teacher. Right on sports. Mm -hmm. How do you think it's changed in the lives of these kids? Well, again, planting those seeds. You know, I mean, the goal, the purpose of Rhode Island Right on Sports is not so much to turn out a new crop of sports writers, but it's to help these students become more comfortable and confident in the writing process, hopefully leading to improved classroom performance, you know. And the younger we can get these kids to think, whether it's Little League, whether it's middle school, you know, about why they make the choices they make um, and what the consequences are and what their responsibilities might be, and, and what their options. We also have to show them there are options. And the more options we can show them, then it's just better for the, for the student, you know, to see all the different possibilities. I mean, one of the things when I go in the classroom is I get to tell them, listen, I didn't want to be a sports writer when I grew up. I wanted to be a professional baseball player. I played in high school, Cranston West. I was pretty good. I played in college at Columbia. I was pretty good. Apparently not good enough. It was before expansion. That's all I can figure. But <laughs> what I say to them is because I could write, I spent 33 years getting paid to watch games. That was my job. I got to go to World Series Super Bowls. I didn't just get to go. I got paid to go because I could write. So while you sit there thinking, well, I have to write. I hate writing. Writing's boring. Hey, I say to you what you say to us. Just saying. I'm just saying. And, and everyone has a passion. Writing can help you stay connected to it somehow, some way. Maybe even, as in my case, make a living at it. And it resonates because it happens to be true in my case. I'm not lying to them. It was me. And so these are the things we need to point out to them. When, when I have a kid say to me in middle school, whatever, oh, I'm going to be a, in our camp. It happens all the time. Oh, I'm going to be a professional basketball player or a professional soccer player. And I will say to them, well, you know what? You might be. You know, you work hard. It happens, right? There are professionals, right? It could be you. 
but uh, you might want to look at other options as well. Steve, great pleasure. Thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's Steve Krasner, veteran sports writer, author, educator, and youth coach sharing insights on teaching and coaching kids at the elementary and middle school levels. For information about Nudging the Imagination workshops, visit nudgingtheimagination.com. And you can learn more about Rhode Island Right on Sports at rirightonsports.org. This presentation was written and produced by Chuck Wilson. Post-production editing and graphics by Chris Gemma. Narration music by Tenacious Orchestra, licensed through premiumbeat.com. Theme music by Patrick Runblad, also licensed through premiumbeat.com. Our thanks to Professor Mike Davis and his digital production class at New England Institute of Technology for the recording of this interview. The recording took place at New England Tech's East Greenwich, Rhode Island campus. We also thank Evenfield's Board of Directors and the following in particular for their support of Evenfield's mission and this multimedia production. Thomas J. Scala, the John and Jessica Pincus Family Fund, and highly regarded businesses in Rhode Island, the Virtus Group, Trusted Advisors, led by Mark Cruz, providing an array of comprehensive financial planning services for families and businesses. Epic Promotions, the Kuto family has four decades of experience in printing, branding, and marketing. Thank you, Barry, Adam, and Keith. Graphic Innovations, a New England leader in large format printing, graphics, and vehicle wraps, our thanks to Jim Larkin and his team. Chuck Wilson on sports and our peer into character conversations are presented by Evenfield, promoting integrity, life skills, and leadership through sports. If you enjoyed this program, please like us on Facebook and subscribe to this channel. And if you believe our content has value and you're in position to support us, a donation of any amount, big or small, would be appreciated. Evenfield is a recognized 501c3 nonprofit organization, and donations to Evenfield are tax deductible to the full extent allowed by law. You can learn more about our organization at evenfield.org. I'm Mark Kestisher. And I'm Chuck Wilson. Let's inspire kids to exhibit competitive courage and to understand that the way you compete, achieve goals, interact with people, and do everything else in life shows the world how you value character and respect for others. Let's encourage each of them to be a person of integrity who is worthy of trust on and off the field. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.